Combining a love of database engineering and open source, our guest on today's show has built a career in tech deeply focused on the innards of some of today's most popular databases, including PostgreSQL, Lucene, Elasticsearch, Presto, and Hawk. After getting his bachelor's from JP Institute of Information Technology, Atri Sharma has held roles at Amazon, Enterprise DB, Teradata, Barclays, Pivotal, Microsoft, and Intuit. Along the way, he's become a prolific contributor to several open source projects like Lucene, PostgreSQL, and a handful of other Apache Software Foundation projects. He's also the author of the upcoming book, Practical Lucene 8. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive with Atri Sharma into the world of databases and open source. You're listening to the Developmentor Podcast, hosted by Grant Ingersoll. We have one goal on the show, to help you build a successful career in tech, no matter where you're from or where you're going. We do this by showcasing interesting people working across a variety of roles in tech and deep dive into their why. If you want to learn more, please visit our website at developmentor.com or follow us on Twitter at developmentor. Welcome to the show, Atri. Great to have you here. Hey, thank you, Grant, for having me. It's a pleasure interacting with the team today. Yeah, and I think uh, even though we're both Lucene contributors, uh, we haven't actually met in person, so I'm so glad to connect with you on the podcast here. It's always great to talk to a fellow Lucene uh, person, so <laughs> thanks for taking the time. No, absolutely. Thank you so much for inviting me here. And It is kind of surprising that we haven't seen each other yet. We would have if this pandemic could not have hit, but yeah, you know, I'm really glad to be here and interacting with you on such a such a great platform. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And and so, Atri, would love to just set the stage for us listeners and and take us back to your early days. What inspired you to get into tech and pursue it as a career? It's a very weird story for me because both my parents are computer programmers, and they were like the early birds for the Indian IT revolution. Uh, like in the early 90s or late 80s. So when I was growing up, I always had access to a computer. You know, I remember early days when I was a kid, I used to create fancy HTML web pages uh, with CSS style sheets and, uh, you know, writing silly little VB script, uh, you know, scripts that just pop up something on your page. That sort of put me in a situation where I knew that this is something I want to do. Combined with the love of mathematics, I really enjoyed this space. And as I grew, I... Uh, you know, I discovered more of these spaces and I realized that this is what I want to do. So as a natural progression, I took up engineering after my uh, school ended. And there, when my second year, I just completed a course with database systems. And I really enjoyed it. Again, it's a very fascinating space and it's got a lot of mathematics to it. And right then, in the year 2012, I heard of a program called uh, Google Summer of Code, uh, which was all about open source. And there I said, hey, let's actually apply and I applied to Postgres and thankfully got selected. And I applied to Postgres because, you know, I said, hey, the only thing I enjoy right now is databases. And I did a Google search on most you know, famous open source databases. Postgres was right there. That is when I got a great mentor. I got introduced to the community. That was my first interaction with open source. It was like trial by fire or learning by fire. I was 
I was thrown into the entire ecosystem of an open source community and a very um, mature open source community at that. But then I started loving the product, loving the operation, loving the entire way an open source product is built just by passion, right? And then I just continued contributing. I grew my wings. I made some contacts. Thankfully, my first set of jobs were where I could actually contribute back to open source, specifically Postgres. So then, you know, it, it just started happening. And as I progressed, I was always ready to learn new things or look at different aspects of the engine or, you know, for them, I pivoted to search. For example, I discovered Lucene and Solar. So yeah, the train just rolled on from there. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, tell me a little bit more about Google Summer of Code, because for our listeners who maybe aren't familiar with this, this is a pretty fantastic opportunity to dip your toes into open source. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, Google's, uh, Google's uh, program of Google Summer of Code has been there for a while now, and it is designed in a way to actually introduce college students or you know, academics to the world of open source development. It's a multi-step process uh, in which first Google identifies some open source communities that it wants to sponsor. Then uh, you have, as students, you have the ability to apply and propose ideas to the community as to, okay, this is what, this is a project that we want to do for you. And essentially, it's like a summer internship uh, where the selected students spend a summer uh, developing some sort of, or doing some sort of work for a specific open source community under an assigned mentor, and Google pays them a stipend. At the end, there's a Google certificate and there's a mentor summit and a student summit. Uh, so there are tons of things. So essentially, it's like a paid uh, summer internship by Google where you're working for an open source community doing something cool. So that itself, you know, the experience is an awesome thing to do. It's an opportunity to learn. And as you said, it is a fantastic way to actually have your first contact with an open source community or the open source way of operating. Yeah, it's fantastic. I've done mentoring of students in it too. And even from the mentor side, it's a good experience, you know, especially if the student shows up and really leans in, which it sounds like you do. So then I'm curious too, you mentioned in there, you've been pretty successful in being able to find jobs that allow you to work on open source. Tell me a little bit more about how you've done that. I think uh, it's chain and reaction effect. So, you know, once you actually contribute to open source and it's like company, like, so you demonstrate expertise there, you establish some sort of a rapport in the community by contributing features that last there, that are quality deliverables. Then at some point, you know, there are, for any major uh, open source project, there always are companies which are either utilizing it or they're sponsoring it. At some point, you know, you probably get reached out by them if they need help or you can always talk to your connections in the community because I think one thing that open source really gives you is the people aspect, right? You build a network of very smart and accomplished people who can actually mentor you and help you grow in the right path, right? So in that phase, I think the first two jobs were actually through my community connections. And as I actually progress in that direction, then you know, the wheels just roll themselves and people do realize that you are the person they need for some sort of task, so they just reach out. But I think uh, the community factor or the people factor is what has helped uh, start me or propel the first few years of my career. Was that something you were expecting and planning for, or was that more of a serendipitous this community aspect? Did you know about that going in, or is that something that's been kind of just, I guess, delightful as, you, as you've done it? It's always been icing on the cake. When I actually decided to commit myself to open source after GSOC, I just thought it'll always be in my spare time. I never actually anticipated having a job 
uh, where you know I will actually be expected to contribute features back to the open source project. It is like you know you're get, getting paid to do the thing you love, right? So you anyways contribute to open source. Why would you pay to do that? But I never even knew that this model exists. And uh, to be honest, that was not something I was expecting. And uh, this came like a delight for me, as you said. It was like, you know, wow, I, I can actually get paid to do this stuff full day. Wow. It's like somebody gives you an entire cake and says, it's all yours. So that was not something I was expecting, but I'm very grateful and thankful for it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I know just in my own career, it's been much of that as well, although I don't get to contribute as much uh, on the personal front these days. It has been, you know, a bit of a delight that serendipitous. What was your approach to your career before that? How had you been modeling your own career kind of prior to, I guess, discovering that you could actually work in open source? I think, you know, to be very, very frank, Frank, uh, before that, I was like any other college going kid, right? So today, if you look at a college grad who doesn't want to do a PhD and wants to stick to software development, they're probably looking at the big four, right? And at that point, Amazon and Google used to visit our campus, and that was what my objective was. That, hey, you know, I'll be a software engineer who is really, really good at, you know, cracking coding interviews, as they say. I'll just be oh, like, uh, you know, just working for the big four. And to be honest, I never spent much thought of what happens when I cross that boundary, right? So I'd always thought of, okay, now I'll get to Google, and that's it. Now, you know, or I'll get to Microsoft or Amazon. Amazon is the first job. And beyond that, I actually never thought, you know, what kind of work am I doing there? Or what kind of area do I want to specialize in? So I knew I enjoyed databases, I enjoyed some things like uh, operating systems, but beyond that, I never really thought. And in retrospective, I think that was, uh, you know, open source stepped in at the right time and saved me, but that was something that I should have planned. And I would advise young people to do that because this computer science is a very vast field. So you need to have a couple of areas where you're really passionate about. You need to focus in those areas to advance your skills as well as try and advance those areas. I never aimed to be a very uh, specified sort of an engineer before I met open source. Yeah, I think uh, it's interesting. I think my career matches that a lot too. I call it guided exploration. You know, I knew generally what direction I wanted to go in, but you know, things come up and you match. So you, you try to figure out where an alignment is at a given point in time. So I'm one for kind of lightweight planning, but I've certainly had other guests on the show who do very deep planning on their careers and they follow it to T and they've been happy that way as well. So you know, to each their own, right? I'm curious then, Autry, you know, similar to the open source angle, you know, you've spent much of your career working on some of the hardest challenges in the database world. You know, you've been adding deep features to Lucene, deep features to Postgres, et cetera, making them faster, making them more capable. What's that like? What attracted you to doing kind of that deep database work on some of the world's most heavily used data stores? I think it was, again, um, you know, once you start getting into the deep of it, or once you start uh, working with companies that are actually using it, then you start realizing uh, what the potential is, right? And to be honest, those are the problem spaces that I identify. For example, grouping sets, which I did for Postgres. It was a long-standing problem, and people really wanted that feature for a lot of reasons. And then but at Teradata, uh, we had a use case for it, uh, which was pretty burning. And we were actually working around it using some hacks that were external to Postgres. So at that point, I had this urge of saying, hey, you know, why hasn't it done, been done before? Why don't we do it the right way? And then it was just that it's too challenging. Let me take an attempt at it, right? So one thing that I have tried very hard to cultivate in myself is, uh, you know, not having that fear of failure. So 
I'm not, I'm not saying I have completely outgrown my earlier, you know. So as a kid, I used to always have this fear of exploring new things, but uh, I've tried to come out of it. So now at this point, I just say, hey, okay, I know the problem. Can I find a solution to it? And then can I actually go to the community and iterate on it? So that is how I normally look at a problem. Even in the Lucene uh, case, right? So I had a use case where we wanted concurrent searches, but concurrent searches were not mature enough. So then I said, okay, what does it take, right? I'm an engineer. I know this code base. Why do I need to depend on anybody else to actually go and do the job for me? I'll do it and I'll make the community greater. So I think it's an amalgamation of three things. Uh, one is just having a need or knowing what the problem is. To having that technical urge, right? So it's a challenge. I love technical challenges. Love stretching my boundaries. That challenge itself uh, really gave me that adrenaline rush. And three was that innate feeling to give back to the community. You know, so I want to help grow the product in my own way. And if that means pushing myself out of my comfort zone, I'm all for it. So those three things are sort of what led to me doing these kind of things. And when once I did them, I found that my knowledge has grown multiple folds. So then I could see deeper than what I could see earlier. So then there was another even bigger challenge waiting out there that I could now see. It's like a game, right? It's you are up-leveling every time so that you face bigger and better challenges. Yeah, well, there's always that person out there who starts using it and they're using it in ways that you don't imagine it will be used. And I mean, that's the real power of open source right there. You know, that you get that feedback loop and you can either take that feedback as criticism and shut down, or you can take it as constructive criticism and open up to new ideas. So I love that, you know, learning mode you've got in there. I'm curious then, you know, Audrey, like, what do you think are some of the key skills necessary to be successful working on databases? Like, what does the day-to-day look like? What do you rely on as kind of the core things that help you be successful there at the technical level? I think there are a couple of things that I depend on. One is I am a voracious reader. So I've carefully, over the years, built a personal library of books that are tailored to teach me things that are required. For example, I have a section on discrete algebra, which I think is very important for understanding how relation optimizers work. Right. So I've always taken it from the ground up. So I've learned stats, I've learned relational algebra, I've learned discrete algorithms, then I've learned combinatorial algorithms for source spacing for, you know, how do you prune trees, uh, how do you actually make sure that, you know, your source space is limited. Then I've actually gotten up and read about transactions, and I've read about databases, I've read about the architecture of different databases, you know, how does SQLite does it, how does uh, MySQL does it. So whenever I'm faced with a problem in, let's say, let's say Postgres, I will go and reference other databases to see what they have done around it. And then I depend a lot on existing code, right? So I read a lot of existing code. I read a lot of email threads that go on. And so every major open source project has some sort of a forum where they discuss ideas. It might be mailing list. It might be a Jira board. So, you know, I spend a lot of time just reading around old conversations around different topics and seeing what the earlier thought process was. So that I can stand on the shoulder of giants and learn new things about why something works and why something does not. So whenever I'm dealing with a new problem, I try to learn as much as I can about the status quo of the system, what was tried before that did not work, and then bring my own things to the table, right? So at the last thing of, okay, this is an idea I have, and I'll get it validated by the community. So sometimes, you know, mostly it is actually change and it is, uh, and I get feedback, I iterate on it. And eventually we get to a state where somebody says that, okay, this looks workable and let's try it out. For any sort of a problem or for any sort of a technical challenge, 
I depend a lot on just learning and reading a lot of code. So reading existing code has helped me a lot. That is how oh. I put it. Well, and I imagine too, you know, like my experience here is, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into understanding concurrency. There's a lot of work that goes into understanding storage structures, data structures. So if you're a computer science student, you know, really taking like your data structures and algorithms classes to the next level can be super helpful here. And then obviously like debugging skills because <laughs> I know I've spent many a late night there. <laughs> you know, you've worked for many of the world's largest tech companies. You know, you mentioned the big four. We, I, don't, I don't care so much about what it was like being at a particular company, but I'm more curious from a career perspective, was there a particular draw to work in big tech or was it simply a matter of right place and right time? I think it was mostly the right place, right time. So I think uh, I've worked at both large and small companies. And my takeaway there is that both have their own pros and cons. So large companies give you that sort of a paraphernalia. So you, know, you have that uh, factor, you have all those comforts in the world, right? Like a Microsoft or Google will give you all of those, those facilities or those tools, as I would say, to play around and um, you know, do things. Same for scale. So example, the scale I would probably see at something like Amazon or you know, Amazon.com or let's say Google.com or, or Wikipedia. I wouldn't find anywhere else. So that scale is something that you get at large companies. The con of it is that, you know, mostly everything that has to be done has been done already. So you might not be doing earth shattering things there. And if you're really passionate about very core technical things of building uh, new things from ground up, the opportunities are rare in such organizations. That is probably how I would like to put it. So in retrospective, I would say that, you know, I would want to work for medium, small companies in the early phase of my career. And later on, when I'm more stable, or you know, I want to sort of, uh, let's say, settle down or take it easy, I would probably move to larger forms. That is probably how I would like to articulate it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's trade-offs for both. I like how you frame that. Along the way, though, you've, you've also kind of grown in your career quite a bit and really chosen to stay on an individual contributor track. I think, you know, you've, you've worked up from software engineer to staff engineer to principal engineer. Tell me about your journey in, in that developing as an individual contributor as opposed to going into, say, management. I think uh, it's always been about two things. So, you know, I've chosen to be in IC because I cannot stay away from code. The amount of technical impact or the amount of technical churn that I have done is how I measure my day's work. And if that's not happening, I feel that there's something conspicuously lacking in what I've done, right? So that is why I chose to remain in this field. Uh, coming to how the progression has happened, I believe it's on multiple fronts. If I step back and look at what I was doing on the first day of my job and what I do today, it's significantly different. What has remained same is that I'm still solving technical problems. But now I think the nature of the problems that are solved or the scale of the problems are solved or the ambiguity of the problem of solved has significantly uh, increased, right? So earlier on, I was giving problems that were mostly straightforward and they knew, you know, I knew where to head. But now at this point, I mostly am in exploration of, okay, what do we do to take, for example, Lucene, right? So what do we do to take Lucene's query performance to the next level? You know, what is it that can be done? So those kind of problems. And the other aspect that is very important is around the people factor. So even though I'm not a manager, but still I have the responsibility of coaching, mentoring, and guiding young engineers onto the path of success and glory in this field. So it's essential that we breed the next in line or the next generation of 
engineers so that they know what kind of challenges they need to solve and they have the right set of tools to make a good career that i think is a very crucial difference that i have seen in the recent few years of my career and that is something i really enjoy and i pride myself with and i think for being like a senior engineer this ability is a must have yeah that's fantastic i mean i think you know there are so many ways to mentor and and kind of quote unquote be like a manager without having to have the hr responsibilities of a manager so i like how you framed that there autry Shifting gears a little bit, you know, I mentioned in the, the lead-in, you know, you're, you're writing this book, uh, Practical Lucene 8. Tell us a bit more about that book. What's it about? Who's it for? Uh, when will it be available? I think uh, Lucene always been sort of a, you know, a puzzle palace. People are intimidated by as at the same time they're in awe of it. I sort of decided to write this book, uh, which is a lightweight read, I would say. Uh, it is more about telling people about you know what Lucene is all about, what and it gives you a bit of flavor of inverted indexing searches and how full text searches works. Uh, and then it also introduces you to the applications of Lucene. You know what is the way you you can integrate your app with Lucene. Even talk, talks a bit about Mahat. If you wanted to write a patch for Lucene, what you would you do about it? What are the most cutting edge features that are coming in Lucene eight? For example, Brock Max want and a couple of other things such as you know the concurrent searches. It's a very lightweight introduction to the world of Lucene, yet it aims to be holistic so that once you know a reader completes it, uh, he or she is equipped enough to go and integrate or use Lucene in their own application. At the same time, they should be intrigued enough to actually look under the hood and say, okay, I'm going to try and see what Lucene's internals actually look like and hopefully become a long-time contributor to the community. Yeah, it's fantastic. I know I am constantly amazed at things that are in Lucene that other engines are just now trying to get up on. And we've been doing it for years and you don't need to start over. But so many people view Lucene as a search engine and they think, oh, I don't have a search problem. But the reality is, is what they really have is this importance first data store. And once you start seeing Lucene as that, it is so powerful and more people need to know about it. So that book sounds amazing. I'm really looking forward to reading that myself. Atri, you know, one of the things I like to really delve into on this show is not just the good stuff of a career, but also some of the more challenging things. And I'm curious from, you know, looking back on your career, what have been a couple of really big highlights for you as well as what have been some really challenging aspects that you've had to figure out in your career? I think the couple of big highlights I would have are around, I say, being able to use the open source projects that I'm passionate about in a production environment. For example, I remember that we actually were using uh, Postgres back in Teradata and I used it in Barclays and there, there were huge successes and I had massive deployments done. And in that process, I realized that there were some features missing for Postgres and I got those back. So some of those were really, there are some things I'm really proud about. My entire stint at Amazon, I think I met a lot of great people. I built my entire Lucene experience there and actually got into the community, built some massive features there for Lucene while actually helping Amazon use Lucene in their main search engine. So those are some of the things I'm really proud of and I'm really grateful that I got opportunities to be part of such massive endeavors. What I've always struggled with is the fact that even though the space for open source projects is huge, you know, we always have this push from various people as to saying that 
you know, you should probably move to a more generic software engineer role where you'll have more opportunities or you'll have a wider spectrum to look at. So that always has been a push that I've had or, you know, those opportunities are always propped up. And in the space that I've chosen to stick in, uh, it's sometimes being hard to, you know, just find more work or I wouldn't say more work, more interesting work, right? So in the, it's a one-off problem that's solved and you're done. Then beyond that, you're only in maintenance mode. So the engineer you start sometimes starts to get frustrated and you start contemplating moving to like, you know, a different org, which is not related to what you are really passionate about. So I think just sticking to the space for a long term and making sure that, you know, you stick with it in the highs and the lows has been the biggest challenge of my career, especially given that my peers have never done that and they have had the liberty of being more generic and more applicable. That is something I have struggled on for quite a while before I got mature enough to understand that, you know, my passion is the biggest thing that I have to stick with. That switch from creation to maintenance is often a difficult one for many of us engineers, and you have to find new ways to be challenged within that. I'm curious, what's been the most surprising thing about your career today? You know, what would 18-year-old Audrey look at and say, wow, I would never have expected that to happen? You know, I think two things that have always surprised me have been the amount of support that I have gotten from people. I mean, I have had mentors in such unexpected places and they have taught me such fine things in life that has actually made me a better engineer and a better human being. And I would never really imagine that uh, people placed well high above and you know, being like mythical overlords actually have the motivation to go and coach a young rookie to actually be a better person or be more successful. Right? I mean, why would somebody care about my career if they're not getting anything out of it, right? That is the attitude I had when I walked into the industry. And surprisingly and thankfully, I was proven wrong. And uh, that is something that was very surprising for me. The other thing that has surprised me is that our industry, in the software industry, to build the right product or to take your ideas to reality, you need more than just technical skills. And that is something that I never expected. I said, hey, if I can be a an excellent engineer, I can convert anything on the planet or whatever idea I have, I can convert it into reality. Truth be told, that is not possible to do alone, right? You need to have that sort of a maneuvering or that people skill or that communication skill to be able to convince people about your idea, right? So be it your teammates who are working with you or be it the community who has to agree to what you're saying and who has to believe in your idea. I think that requires very different levels of a very different type of uh, techniques, right? You need to be a good communicator. You need to be a good presenter. You need to take feedback. You need to ensure that, you know, you're, you're not being rude. You're not, you're not just burning bridges. So all of those aspects are something that I never cared or considered until the moment I actually faced them. And that I think was pretty surprising for me. And I've, I've learned that the hard way, but I would warn young engineers or if I go back to an 18 year old, I would probably ask him to invest some time in that space right from the get go. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, so, you know, the show is called Developmentor. You know, the, the name mentor or the word mentor is right in there. Tell me about actually a concrete example of an interaction or two that you've had with a mentor or a friend that really helped you along that way. I think I definitely have examples of that. So, you know, I had a mentor in uh, the Postgres community. His name is Andrew Girl. He's a Postgres committer. At that, that time, I was very young and naive. So, he actually helped me understand how to navigate massive code bases, how to keep your cool when interacting with the community. 
and he really taught me the bells and whistles of writing code into such a large ecosystem right because that's also a very new experience as college grads you're mostly writing uh, used to writing one off independent standing projects but writing code in an existing running enterprise system is a very different ball game altogether and he taught me that and i think that has been a very crucial skill that i've used altogether and second is you know he taught me how to navigate and explore new code bases so basically if you give him a new code base how do you go about understanding and integrating with it or just learning how it works right that is something that he taught me in very early in my career and then i've had uh, different mentors i've had mike candles you know who, who is a very famous lucid person uh, he taught me how to actually work with people and how to make sure that uh, my ideas are communicated in the right manner and how to ensure that whatever i'm doing is actually in the longer term for the community so those kind of people skills and uh, you know that techno mentor thing is what he uh, he taught me and i'm very grateful for that so those two interactions something i'll really call out as highlights in multiple mentoring interactions that i've had in my career yeah that's fantastic i think you're the second guest on the show who's mentioned mike mccandless and i i too can attest to the impact mike has had on so many people in the lucene community He's just so Deeply capable on the technical front and caring on the personal front. So, thank you for that shout out for him. I, I want to make sure he's aware of it as well. So, uh, flipping the the question around then for you, Audrey. You know, put on your mentoring hat for a moment. What's your best career advice? My career advice would be career is also like a business, right? So. To be honest, running your career is no less than running a startup. That's how I look at it, right? You will be the happiest when there's an intersection of multiple things, right? So the work that you do is something that you're passionate about, something that you're good at, and something that you see value in, and also something that can help advance your career, right? So you need to keep uh, finding that sweet spot. And many a times, what I've seen is that people take a compromise. right they stop searching because you know there are naysayers around or their their peers are actually getting paid more than them or they are not they are not as successful as their peers and they just stop searching and say hey, you know what i'm going to follow what everybody else is doing and just just get it done i would say that don't do that persist for a little while just keep trying and just keep seeing if you know you need to pivot the way you are going about have a plan and just stick to it but don't give up your interest so easily because you know all of us have an innate talent and a passion and it is our duty to be actually following it and trying our best to achieve it. sometimes we cannot but sometimes it's something that you know it will not be fruitful in the long term in that case we have no choice but to pivot but you should at least give it a, a genuine try and make sure that you are actually trying it out to see if it works for you the other aspect of it is like a startup you have to always ensure that you are up on your toes never stop learning you know the day you stop learning you are making us redundant so as high you may get never stop learning never stop seeking mentors and make sure that you are growing every day as an engineer as a person in the field of your choice so that is those are two piece of advice that i would probably give somebody who just started i love that startup analogy and of course being willing to pivot when uh you know you've given it an honest try and you recognize things are taking you somewhere else i think it fits in nicely there so much atri So great to have you on the show. Like I said, I, I still can't believe as fellow Lucene committer we haven't actually met in person. But you know, I look forward to that day. One final question for you: Where can our listeners best follow you? Perhaps buy your book, connect up with you, and learn about you and your career path. 
I think the best place there would be uh, my LinkedIn profile. So I'm very active on LinkedIn and I keep regularly posting on it. I keep interacting with a lot of my fellows. The other best way to reach out to me would be email. Again, I, I have a lot set up for my email. So my Apache email ID, which is atri, A-T-R-I at the rate apache.org is the best way to reach out to me. I'm always available on these two forums and I would be more than happy to connect with people. And as to where they, you know, where the listeners can buy my book, it will be available on all major platforms very soon, be it Amazon or the Springer website. And uh, yeah, I'll be posting links to that on uh, my LinkedIn profile as well. That's fantastic. So that's Practical Lucene Aid. It's going to be available by Springer. I suspect it'll be available right around the time when this show comes out. So should be good timing there for you, Autry. Thank you again so much for joining me. Really enjoyed the conversation and appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. Thank you for having me over. It was wonderful uh, talking to you about my experiences. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Developmentor podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Even better, please leave us a review. If you want to hear older episodes, leave feedback, or sign up to be a guest, please visit us at developmentor.com. If you'd like to support the show, there are three ways you can help out. One, make a donation via Patreon. Two, if you're a software engineer looking for your next gig and wanting to practice interviewing, use our referral link to the interviewing.io platform. And three, buy your next tech book from Manning Publications using our affiliate link. All of those links can be found at developmentor.com slash support dash us. That's S-U-P-P-O-R-T dash U-S, all one word. Most importantly, if you like this show, please tell your friends. Referrals are the lifeblood of any podcast. Finally, we here at Developmentor hope that each and every episode helps you move one step closer to finding your path.